Good morning, church family. Thank you, Jerome, for the songs and Matt for the good words during the Lord's Supper talk and Sam for the wonderful prayer. Uh, Last week, I uh, had the pulpit and I preached about how Christianity is not always easy all the time. And it takes some courage to be faithful, to be faithful, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others or to do something like what Matt Press did or or Sam DeSue did. Come up here and share a little bit. It takes courage and you open yourself up to uh, some rejection, some humiliation, criticism. For example, when you don't put your mic on and you try to talk, you kind of, uh, you know, it's not safe. Opens yourself up to a little bit of embarrassment. Eric and Rachel are a great example of two people who have heard God's call in their life. And they did not run away and they did not hide, but they heeded their call, that call from God. And their life hasn't always been comfortable. There's been uncertainty. There's been risk. They put themselves in harm's way at times. Um, But they put God's will for them above their own security, their own comfort and their own safety. And we call that here in church. I believe we call that success. Eric and Rachel are very successful at being faithful. And I'm not sure that Eric's ever going to have that red goatee ever again. I'm pretty sure he's not. And as I'm sure you recall last week, if you were here, um, I talked about American consumerism and how the average American every day uh, is exposed to 3,000 different commercial messages and images each day. And as a Christian, we have to be proactive in combating those messages with messages of reality and truth from Scripture. Because those commercial messages that we receive, that we're exposed to every day, they depict a world of fantasy. A world that isn't true. All it does is tell us lies and try to trick us. They tell us that our life will be better instantly if we buy their product and our life will be more more prestigious, more comfortable, more sexy. All they're trying to do is trick you. So this week we return to Second Thessalonians, or excuse me, First Thessalonians, and we'll turn to chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 as we begin today. It says, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God, entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery. Nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. If you place that scripture beside consumerism in America today, the two could not be more at odds with each other. I did a little bit of research last week on marketing philosophy. Sounds thrilling, right? Well, luckily, it only took me about a minute to find this quote from ReferenceForBusiness.com. 
says the marketing concept and philosophy is one of the simplest ideas in marketing at its very core are the customer and his or her satisfaction. The marketing concept and philosophy states that the organization should strive to satisfy its customers wants and needs while meeting the organization's goals. In simple terms, the customer is king. Now, I don't know if this is shocking to anybody today, like maybe it should be. We've become a little numb to marketing philosophy. We probably all know a little something about marketing, and we've heard slogans like, the customer is king, or the customer is always right, or have it your way. The, the people that marketing philosophy targets is the customer, and that's you. We're the people. We're the targets. We're the ones being tricked into believing that we are kings. Now, in the Old Testament, Israel operated as God as their king up until the time of the prophet Samuel. God let them out into battle and fought their battles for them. God ruled over them and protected them. God provided for them. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, starting in verse uh, excuse me, First Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together. Now, I want you to keep in mind as we read this verse, these are the elders of Israel gathering together. And this is not going to be some rebellion of young folks. This, these are the mature and the wise of Israel. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are now doing to you. Now, listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. And so Samuel goes ahead and warns the people what will happen to them if they have an earthly king and an earthly kingdom because they wanted to be like the nations around them. So Samuel warns them, that it's going to cost them their sons and their daughters and their land. Because he says, an earthly kingdom, while it looks good from the outside, with its chariots and with its impressive structures and with its big armies, it takes people to be soldiers. It takes people to be slaves. And it takes land. And it's going to cost you guys your sons and your daughters and your land. But this is the people's response to Samuel's warning. In the same chapter, it says, But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And so it was Saul who became the first earthly king of the first earthly kingdom of Israel. A man that the Bible describes as an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller 
than any of the others. Tall, dark, and handsome was Saul, an impressive young man. What an ideal candidate to be the first earthly king of the first earthly kingdom of Israel. The Apostle Paul, a thousand years later, would describe this as setting your minds on earthly things, being enticed by the world around you, seeing other people for their outside appearance and not what's on the inside, and craving the admiration from people around you. We do the same thing today when we set ourselves up as king. When we're king, when the commercial world tells us that we're king, hey, we like it. I like being treated like a king. And so then we might be, be tempted to be king at home, be king at work, be king at church, in your relationships. Even with your relationship in God, you want to be treated as king. Well, as it turned out, the throne went to Saul's head. And it led to his demise, his downfall, and he commits suicide. We have to make sure that we do not commit spiritual suicide when we place ourselves as king in place of God. We must make sure that it is God that is our king and only God that is our king. Will it be easy all the time? Will it be a comfortable life? Will it be safe and secure? Perhaps not as the world defines it. However, the end result will not be your downfall. The end result will not lead to spiritual suicide, spiritual death. The end result will be spiritual life, eternal. And it will be the peace of God while on this earth as you experience his presence in life. While in our culture, the customer, you and me, is lauded as king, the Christian's desire should be to serve and please God and not men. Now, while this is important for all Christians everywhere, I want to make the point that this is especially important for our leaders, for church leaders. Now, in our country today, we have about 10 or so people, men and women, who are vying to get your vote to be the leader of this country, the president of the United States of America. Now, how many of those men and women do you trust have the interests of the country in mind? Or do you think that they're just out for personal glory? Their own personal agenda. Politicians have this reputation. They're notorious for their dishonesty. for telling you they're going to do something just to get your vote. And then once elected, they back down on their promise. What this country needs is statesmen, not politician. A statesman is somebody who acts with the best interests of the country in mind. Harry Truman was a statesman. As I understand it, he wasn't real well liked when he was president. But the legacy that he left behind was that of one who had the best interests of the country in mind. We need statesmen, not politicians. Amen? In the church, we need something similar. Our church leaders should view God's agenda 
as the best agenda, not their own agenda, not the agenda of the people that they lead even. But it is only God's agenda that matters. Not it may not always make people happy or safe or comfortable, but if we want to be faithful to God's call, faithful to God's agenda, then no matter what the cost, we must not follow our own agenda or the people's agenda, but God's agenda. That was the appeal that Paul was making to the Thessalonians. He said that we are men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. Well, it's very important, especially for our leaders, to follow God's agenda. Every Christian has that responsibility in their own lives. Each of us have roles to fulfill, whether it be at work, at home, in the family, here at church. And in each of those roles, God is calling you to be somebody. And are you going to pay attention to what God wants you to be? Or are you going to pay attention to what man wants you to be? So when Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, he means for this to be woven into the daily life of the Christian. At home, at work, on the golf course. And finally, and I'm going to use that word lightly, as we are trained in our consumer-driven world to set ourselves up as earthly kings and to put priority on our own comfort and safety, we must not treat Jesus as simply the bigger and better product that will improve our lives instantly. Now, Will Jesus improve your life? Well, maybe not from the standpoint of the world. He might not give you worldly comfort or safety by the way that the world defines it. But you will have the greatest gifts of anybody on earth. Eternal life with God. Friendship with Jesus. Hope and forgiveness of sins. Citizenship in heaven. I think Jesus will improve your life. I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3. Verse 18, it says, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, from this perspective, from the perspective that our citizenship is in heaven, would you rather have temporary safety and comfort and happiness? Or would you rather have eternal safety and comfort and happiness? I think the choice is easy. If you want to please man... You have the temporary benefits. If you want to please God, you have eternal benefits. It's a no-brainer. But while I just made out Jesus to be really big and, and, and the best, Jesus is not the, the bigger and better product out there. 
Jesus is out of this world. He's not a product. He's not earthly. Jesus will not transform your life into a picture that you see in Good Housekeeping magazine. Nor is the Bible a brochure that will help you to get rich quickly or to lose 15 pounds in 30 days. It doesn't work like that. What the Bible says about the one who puts his trust in the Lord and not man is that he is like a tree planted by the water. I want you to think about that image of a tree planted by the water. Maturity doesn't happen instantly. If I were to take a picture of my six-month-old daughter, and then a month later, take another picture of now my seventh-month-old daughter, and then I would compare the two pictures, there would probably be noticeable difference in the two pictures. Now, if I was to go outside and take a picture of a tree, and then a month later, take a picture of that same tree, as long as the seasons didn't change, I compare the two pictures, you're probably not going to notice much change in the two pictures. Because it's a slow, steady growth. Life is like this. It's not a sprint. It's a long-distance race, your Christian walk. It's about slow, steady growth over time, strengthening your dependence on God, trusting more and more in God day by day. It's about gaining wisdom and experience and producing fruit. Helping people along the way. Being a blessing on their journey towards God's agenda. Now, this is not to say that Jesus can't transform a life very quickly and dramatically. I'm not going to limit what God can do in a person's life. But generally speaking, the Christian walk is a steady growth towards maturity. I want you to check out Jeremiah chapter 17. With me, verses five through eight. It says this is, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wasteland. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I used to live in extreme western Kansas for about four years, almost to the Colorado border. I got to experience something really cool out there. Tumbleweeds. Pretty cool, huh? Um, this is a picture of a friend of mine's house in Ulysses, Kansas. And this is what happens to everybody's house every spring. Thousands upon thousands of tumbleweeds rush across the flat plains spurred on by the spring winds. And they get in people's yards. They get in the way. Um, you'll see them in fence lines just clogged up. When I read the first part of that scripture from Jeremiah chapter 17 about the man who puts his trust in men is like a bush in the wasteland. I think of the tumbleweed that grows up quickly 
but is weak and has very shallow roots. It has no chance to stand up against the wind. It's blown here and there with the wind. It gets in people's way. It's a nuisance. Good for nothing. But then I think about the image of the tree planted by the water. The image that the Bible says is like the man who trusts in the Lord. The tree planted by the water. I think of maybe this happy tree beside this clear stream amidst green grass. I'm, I'm entering into my Bob Ross zone of PBS, the guy that paints with the beard. It's a happy tree in a happy place. Okay, this tr- now the wind doesn't stand a chance against the tree. Trees like this, they don't pop up overnight. They take time, they strengthen over time, and they are built to last, to endure. And my hope is that our faith would be like a tree and not a tumbleweed, built to last and endure, just like the faith of the Thessalonians that we read about in 1 Thessalonians, a faith that stayed strong even amidst persecution. Now, the tree also, when trouble comes, like wind or a drought, you think it might weaken the tree. But the tree just shoots its roots down even deeper into the ground, strengthening its foundation. The tree actually becomes stronger in a drought. And it bears fruit. It is a blessing to those around, not a nuisance. Such is the man or woman, as the Bible says, who puts their trust in the Lord. Instead of himself, who has his mind on things above, not on earthly things, who allows God and only God to be the king of his life, who stands firm in faith and who is deeply rooted in his life source, Jesus Christ. So being a Christian is not safe and it takes courage to be faithful and you have to make your stand for Jesus I'm going to do the invitation a little bit differently this morning than probably what you're used to. Um, so if you haven't been listening, now's the time to start listening. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask something of you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show a video to end uh, my lesson. It's a video of an acorn that begins to grow into an oak tree. Now, the video is only two minutes long, but the actual elapsed time is eight months. So it's kind of in fast forward mode. Okay. Now, what I encourage you to do while we play this video is think about your own life. Use this as a time of reflection to see where your faith is at currently, where you've been in the past and where you're going in the future. Is your faith strong? Will it endure? Will it last? Is it like the tree planted by the water through whatever the world throws at it? Will it be strong? But this is what I ask of you. If, while you're watching the video and you're reflecting on your time, if you would dedicate your life to strong, continual, long-term growth, you do this, then I invite you just to stand up during the video. You don't have to come forward or anything like that. Just stand where you are if you make this dedication for long-term, continual growth. So let's see this video. (laughs) 